Welcome to Mexico Matters, the CSIS podcast about how events occurring in Mexico can impact and more importantly, matter in the United States. I am Mariana Campero, non-resident senior associate of the Americas program at CSIS and the former CEO of the Mexican Council on Foreign Relations, COMEXI. Four years after taking office, President López Obrador, a fierce critic of conservative and neoliberal economic policies, has not adopted the populist playbook of the 70s and 80s. He has not made the mistakes many had feared of borrowing and spending heavily. And today, Mexico's finances are in a solid position. His fiscal austerity measures, although criticized by many during the pandemic, have kept rating agencies at bay. Inflation is lower than in many countries, and the peso has held its value. To explain why, despite all of these accomplishments, Mexico's economic recovery has lagged, and GDP is not expected to reach pre-pandemic levels until sometime next year. But it is my pleasure to welcome Alonso Cervera, Managing Director in the Emerging Markets Economic Research Team of Credit Suisse. Alonso, welcome to Mexico Matters. Let me start by asking you, if you give any credit to AMLO for where Mexico stands today, and if so, where? And on the other side, what of his policies concern you the most? Sure. Thank you, Mariana. Thanks for inviting me to this podcast. It's a pleasure being here with you today. Well, what I would say is I would give President López Obrador credit on, on some fronts. First, I think that the fact that he has not interfered actively with the central bank is a positive. Yes, he has appointed some of the board members that are there at present, but he has been generally respectful of the central bank's decision, even though some of them have been repeated interest rate increases. On fiscal policy, as you mentioned, I would say it's a positive that he has been prudent in maintaining generally sound fiscal balances even during the pandemic. Another positive is that he has not had a confrontational approach with the private sector, with the business leaders. There was a lot of anxiety before he took office as to how this relationship would go. And the truth is, there seems to be a cordial relationship between the business leaders in Mexico and the president. Lastly, I would say that we have to give him credit for being aggressive in increasing the minimum wage in Mexico in a significant way. I think that the minimum wage was way too low. I think that previous governments were very averse at touching the minimum wage in an aggressive way. And this time, President López Obrador hasn't hesitated. And we have seen a material increase in the minimum wage for the last four years or so. I give him credit on that. And now, well, there are policies that concern me, of course. I'm concerned about the erosion of various government entities that we have seen over the last four years because of spending cuts or because of changes in personnel, because of changes in priorities, I think that we will pay for this over time. I'm also concerned about his policy to slash spending in various sectors of the economy, particularly in the health sector, particularly during the pandemic. Also, I'm concerned about the wasting of immense resources in two very highly questionable projects, the train and the refinery. I also don't like the increased importance of the military in Mexico. La Guardia Nacional, the National Guard, seems to be everywhere. And lastly, 
obviously we cannot forget his backtracking on the energy reform, which will be a topic of debate, most likely in 2023, and his latest attempts to weaken the Electoral Institute. So these are policies that I dislike. I think there are some positives, some negatives, and I've gone through some of them. And some of these policies might have consequences which are yet to be fully seen. Alonso, what are the international trends that are actually helping AMLO navigate these very complicated waters? Well, I think the president has been lucky in that, first, we lived through a period in which global yields, global interest rates were very, very low. So in the first years of his administration, we had very low rates and we had risk appetite for emerging market assets, including Mexico. So I would say that the global context was a favorable one in that people were still hunting for yield and people came to Mexico to gain from the high rates that Mexico was still paying. Secondly, I think the president has been lucky in a way that there have been geopolitical conflicts recently. We had the pandemic and now there's a process of relocation of production processes the so-called near-shoring, and Mexico will benefit from it for sure. We can talk about that later. But these geopolitical tensions, these trade wars, the pandemic, basically mean a greater emphasis on regionalization and less emphasis on globalization. And Mexico stands out as a prime beneficiary of near-shoring when we think about the Americas. So these are two ways in which the president has been lucky. And this is how some external factors have helped Mexico navigate this troubled world in a relatively good way over the last four years or so. Before we move into the near-shoring conversation that I really want to touch upon, let me just ask you, about a recent report that Credit Suisse just published in which you anticipate 2022 economic growth in Mexico to be at around 2.9%. That is higher than the average forecast of analysts of 2.1%. But that is also lower than other major economies in the region. Why is Mexico's growth been so disappointing? Well, in the year that we're ending, 2022, Mexico's growth probably was 3%, which is lower than many other countries in the region and for many other emerging economies. What I would say is that businesses and households in Mexico were still struggling from the pandemic times because they didn't have the fiscal support that other countries offered to their companies and to their households. So... I would say the private sector in Mexico, businesses, households were at a disadvantage vis-a-vis other countries because they didn't have the support during 2020. The fiscal stimulus was significant in many other places. There were some emergency measures in other places like Chile, where they withdrew significant amounts of money from the private pension funds. We didn't see any of that in Mexico. And this is why Mexico was at a disadvantage. But even with that disadvantage, I would say growth of 3% in 2022 wasn't bad. I think it's above potential. But I think that we will see challenges ahead. I think 2023 will be more challenging than 2022. Alonso, let me dig a little bit deeper into these numbers. What were the main drivers of growth right now? 
What I would say, Mariana, is that, yes, manufacturing stands out. We have had significant growth in manufacturing output in 2022, maybe in excess of 5%. But the reality is that when we look at uh, GDP from the supply side or from the demand side, growth in 22 was broad-based. It was not one sector pulling us out of a slump. It was broad-based growth from supply, primary services, industrial GDP performed very well. And when we look at it from the demand side, demand side components were equally strong. Private consumption, fixed investment, exports. So I think this is very positive. I think this is very welcomed. But when we look at it in detail, I mean, clearly some services sectors had explosive growth, which was a function of the reopening of the economy. It was all in all a very healthy profile for GDP performance in Mexico in 2022. Alonso, you just mentioned investments. Mexico's investments are actually extraordinarily low compared to other OECD countries. Yet FDI increased almost 30% in the first nine months of this year, if I am correct. More than $32 billion flowed into the country, and it is the first time since comparable records were first kept in 1999 that FDI in Mexico has exceeded $30 billion in the first nine months of the year, if my data is correct. What is happening? Yes, your data is correct, and we had significant increase in FDI inflows into Mexico for the first nine months of this year, as you said, $32 billion. A lot of it came in the first quarter of the year. I think that what we're seeing, Mariana, is a recovery in investment flows. We had a very bad couple of years, 2020 and 2021, and then things started looking better for the global economy. And we, I think that what we're seeing, if this were a baseball game, we're in the early innings of this near-shoring process where, where companies are looking to relocate, to get closer to home, and I think that some of that we're already seeing in Mexico. Tough to put numbers to it, but I would say, I mean, we had inflows into Mexico of $21 billion in the first quarter of the year alone. We had another $10 billion for the second and third quarters together. But these are healthy numbers, a lot of new investments, a lot of reinvestments. But the numbers that you quote, the 32 billion inflows are a record high. And I think this is favorable news for Mexico. Alonso, you spoke about the pandemic and the geopolitical events that have added incentives to relocate production closer to home. Yet, at least until now, the rewards of the China decoupling have gone mostly to other Asian countries, such as Vietnam, Korea, Taiwan, India. In fact, between 2018 and 2021, the proportion of manufactured goods imported into the U.S. from Mexico barely changed. This $32 billion investment that we have been talking about, do you see this as the beginning of something larger? Are you seeing new manufacturing companies setting up shop in Mexico? How, how would you describe this investment? As you correctly point out, some of the Asian economies have been earlier beneficiaries of nearshoring in Asia. Vietnam, Thailand are some examples. Mexico is probably coming a little late to the party, but this is a party that will last for a, for a long while. I am constructive that 
what we will see over the next, let's say, 10 years is an increase in the trend FDI inflows into Mexico. We have a lot of foreign businesses established in Mexico. I think that these companies will continue to reinvest and grow in Mexico. And I think that what we're seeing now is the intentions of many foreign companies to set up operations in Mexico. I think regionalization will gain importance over the next 10, 20 years. And Mexico, being next door neighbor to the U.S., will be a prime beneficiary of this relocation process. We have to be mindful that this is going to be a slow-moving story. This is not high-frequency data. But when exposed, we will see, okay, well, we moved from X billions of FDI, which was the trend for the last 20 years, to a new level, which is higher, and that partly reflects the near-shorting processes. We see a lot of intentions by companies to come in and invest in Mexico. It will be slow. It is Mexico. Things don't move that quickly. But I'm confident that maybe by accident, Mexico will benefit from these flows. And since we are wrapping up the World Cup, the way I put it to some investors is, if this was a soccer match, the near-shoring match, Mexico will win it. It will not be a goliza, it will not be by a large margin, but we will win this game of nearshoring and we will attract investment flows for sure. We have the capability, we have a lot of resources, we have the prime geographic location, but it will be slow to materialize. I'm not sure about how much it will move the needle of growth, whether growth will accelerate significantly or not, but I'm confident that people will come People will build plants and Mexico's export platform will be larger than it is today. Certainly, Mexico has many strengths and most of all, the proximity to the largest economy in the world and a free trade agreement within North America. And we also have an established enormous manufacturing base. We have production ecosystems and we have labor. Yet thus far, these strengths have not been enough to position Mexico at the forefront of the nearshoring phenomenon. Alonso, what else is needed? I think, Mariana, that we need stronger effort on the part of the government to go out and convince people to come to Mexico. I think that the words nearshoring, allyshoring, FDI are not very present in these governments' vocabularies. I wish we heard about nearshoring and reshoring and friendshoring in the mañaneras, in the daily press briefings, but we tend to hear other words instead. I think we need a bigger government effort. I think we need to get clarity on what's happening on the energy front. I think we need to sort out the injunctions that have been filed by the private sector on the electricity front. I think we need to get more clarity on the USMCA controversies that are still pending. And once the skies clear up, I think we will see more decisive investment flows. And I would say we also need the global economy to rebound from this apparent slow that we're going through. When we look at what are the determinants of FDI inflows into Mexico, one variable that stands out is profitability of, let's say, companies listed in the U.S. market, S&P 500 earnings, we need companies to be doing well globally for them to say, we need to grow, we need to invest. 
I think we need to be patient. 2023 is going to be challenging in many ways for the global economy. And maybe the willingness to invest will not be that great in 2023. But I think companies look at these things in a multi-year way. And I'm confident that, again, Mexico will be an important destination for these FDI inflows. You mentioned 2023. The global outlook, as you said, looks pretty bleak. And the U.S., right, our largest trading partner, is expected either to go into a recession or to narrowly avoid one. As the old saying goes, if the U.S. sneezes, Mexico certainly catches a cold. What is your outlook for 2023 for Mexico? Mexico will slow down significantly. We're not calling for a recession in the U.S. We see a significant slowdown in the U.S. To put some numbers, in 2022, maybe the U.S. economy grew by 1.8%. For 2023, our forecast is about 0.5, 0.7. So growth is going to be cut in half in the U.S., and this is not good news for Mexico. In the case of Mexico, we're looking at growth in 2023 of about 1% down from the 3% that we mentioned before. So if this was an aircraft, we're going to be facing headwinds, not tailwinds. And clearly in Mexico, as Mexico observers know quite well, the slowdowns and the recoveries begin with the U.S. It is the external sector that drives growth in Mexico, typically, and this will be no exception in 2023. And I think that what we will see and probably what we're already seeing is a little bit of softness in exports and a little bit of an inflection point in the dynamism that we've seen in external trade for the past few months or quarters. What are you most concerned about? You spoke about USMCA. How would you anticipate market reaction to be in case a panel is called and this panel were to rule against Mexico regarding our energy policies? I think, Mariana, this is one of the biggest risks that we face in Mexico in 2023. Let's see what happens with the USMCA debate or controversies. We're not at a panel stage yet. There are still some attempts to negotiate between the three governments. The Mexican government just put out a press release on it last night. My feeling is that we will see a panel, and my feeling is that by the middle of next year, we'll see a ruling on it. If Mexico doesn't backtrack on secondary legislation on energy, the ruling may be adverse to Mexico. And I think that clearly we would see an impact on the currency, on the Mexican peso. We would see an impact on export potential and on sentiment in general. Because if the ruling is against Mexico, well, the hype, that we have today about nearshoring will not be as large or as great as, as it is today if we have the adverse ruling. Other risks that I see in Mexico for zero globally, well, inflation, inflation, inflation. We recently had good data on inflation in the U.S. for the month of November. It's one data point, but I think that all countries, all central banks are concerned about inflation. We need to see a decisive decline in inflation so that rates can stop going up and so that central banks can consider start cutting rates at some point next year or in early 2024. This is a risk not exclusive to Mexico. This is a global risk. But these are the two biggest risks that I see for Mexico going into 2023. I don't think politics are going to be that important in 2023. Maybe 2024 will be a different story. 
But for now, let's watch the chapter on USMCA and let's see what happens with inflation and with policy rates. So we spoke about CapEx decisions and moving manufacturing ecosystems as being long-term projects. Is it your sense that C-suites know that President López Obrador, whose policies have created an enormous uncertainty, is actually leaving office in 18 months? Are they betting that the new president, whomever that might be, will have a less nationalistic policy regarding energy and their investments would be secure? I'm not an expert on those topics, but what I would say is President López Obrador was in campaign mode for many, many years, and he first lost the presidential elections in 2006, and he finally came into power in 2018. So he had a long time to think about his policies and about his ideals. He has a very strong ideology. I think that the next president, whoever he or she may be from whichever political party, will be more practical. And I think that maybe 2023, 2024 will be challenging for the Mexican economy. And I'm confident that the next president will be pragmatic. I think that the next president of Mexico will win with a smaller majority than President López Obrador did. I don't think that the next president wins with 53% of the vote. I don't think that the next president will have the same degree of control of Congress that the way President López Obrador had between 2018 and 2021. So it will be a more pragmatic approach, in my opinion, and I think that this could be good news for the private sector. Let me ask you one more question. Pemex. Pemex is the most indebted oil company in the world with more than $100 billion in debt. It was recently downgraded, but President López Obrador has made clear that he would do whatever it takes to rescue the company. How do you perceive the risk of Pemex? Well, first, I would say Pemex has the full backing of the government at present. President López Obrador has been explicit at saying we will honor the Pemex debt. We, the federal government, will honor the Pemex debt for the foreseeable future. So Pemex bondholders don't have the fear of a default in the near term, because what we have seen are repeated capital injections, capital transfers from the federal government to Pemex so that Pemex can pay the debt. Now, let's be clear. Pemex is the president's favorite child, and it will continue to treat Pemex very well. Having said that, as you correctly point out, Pemex has a huge debt burden and has a questionable business model. And we're going into an era of higher global rates, higher global yields, where access to capital will be more challenging than before. So I don't think Pemex is out of the woods. I think that we will need to see a different business model over the next few years. And I think that for now, Pemex is still in the intensive care unit and will still require the assistance of a lot of the doctors in the hospital and a lot of the medicines that are available because it's not in a very healthy situation despite the high oil prices. And the debt burden is something that has to be addressed over time. Alonso, how is Mexico perceived relative to other emerging countries? Well, I think it's all relative, Mariana. And I would say that at present, international institutional investors look at Mexico favorably. First, the number of eligible emerging markets where you can invest has shrunk. I mean, we no longer have 
Venezuela, Argentina, Russia, Turkey, they are untouchable for now. So now your universe is shrinking, and it's all a relative game. And when we think about Latin America, Mexico compares favorably to many other countries where political risk appears to be much higher than in Mexico at present. There's a new president in Brazil. There's a new president in Colombia. There's the process of rewriting a constitution in Chile. There's a new president and a call for early elections in Peru. We have none of that in Mexico. In Mexico, we know how the mañaneras will go. We know what the president will say. We're used to this government because the government is going into its fifth year. So political risk has come down a lot. And that's a positive. Now, external and fiscal imbalances are also narrower in Mexico than in those countries. So people say, well, political risk is lower, the fiscal looks better, the external accounts are not a source of concern, and we have the near-shoring narrative. So these stories change all the time. But for now, I think that Mexico looks quite in a favorable position or a more favorable position vis-a-vis many of the other countries in the region, And also from an EM standpoint, EMEA is suffering from the conflict in Ukraine. Asia is a different story. But for now, and I'm Mexican, I live in Mexico. I suffer from the problems that Mexicans suffer. I have to admit, it's all a relative game. And Mexico doesn't look that bad in the eyes of a foreign investor. It is certainly a relative game. Alonso, unfortunately, we have come to the end of this episode. But I want to close with something you said earlier. Mexico is now benefiting from the nearshoring narrative. And it might actually be the case that we're swept by accident rather than by strategy or planning into it. And no matter who the next president might be, he will probably not have neither the support nor the allure of López Obrador. And thus, he will need to govern much more pragmatically. Absolutely. And I think that one topic that we didn't discuss, but it's important, and I'll throw it out there, crime. Crime is an issue in Mexico. Crime could become a bigger problem, and crime could be a deterrent to investment. I don't want to end the podcast on a negative note, but I think this is another topic that has to be out there, has to be in investors' minds. And as a Mexican, I really hope and pray that we see significant improvements on that front, because it's an important element so that people can feel confident coming to Mexico. Absolutely. It's not only about the rule of law, but it's also about security. I have absolutely no doubt that you're right. Alonso, again, thank you very much for being with us today. My name is Mariana Campero. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog.